0: The Old Pilot's Plane Tales, Mitchell's Fighter, Mitchell's Fight. A dying man watched the first prototype of the RAS new fighter being put through its paces. He looked at the aircraft with great satisfaction, and seeing it perform gave him a warm feeling of fulfilment in his last few days of life. The man whose life was ending so prematurely had just given Britain a great gift. But let's start this story by going back to his early life. Born to a Yorkshireman in 1895, Reginald Joseph Mitchell was mad keen about aviation, something that many of us will relate to. His education was almost certainly a little better than most, as his father was his school headmaster. At the age of only 16, Mitchell began an apprenticeship with a steam engine locomotive engineering firm and soon moved from the engine workshop to the drawing office. He undoubtedly enjoyed his work as he started evening classes in engineering drawing, mechanics and higher mathematics. In 1917, at the age of only 18, he managed to follow his dreams and he was offered a position as assistant to Hubert Scott Payne, the owner of and designer at the Supermarine Aviation Works in Southampton. So keen was he to start work, after accepting his post he went straight to the drawing office and sent for his belongings rather than going home. Mitchell was soon recognised as a rising star. He married and started a family and by the age of only 24 he was already the chief designer and shortly after the chief engineer. Over the next 20 years he designed and developed 24 aircraft, a prodigious work rate, which included aircraft such as the Sea Eagle, the Scarab and the Swan subsequently called the Southampton, which so impressed the Air Ministry that they ordered six straight off the drawing board and subsequently used the type to form two RAF squadrons which flew them until 1936. Supermarine soon established itself at the forefront of marine aviation and it became the most profitable enterprise in the aircraft industry. Despite the success of his flying boats, we remember Mitchell more for his work with high-speed flight. The Schneider Trophy was a race for seaplanes that was conducted during the 1920s. It became a showplace that demonstrated the pinnacle of aircraft design. The machines that were entered were at the forefront of the available technology and nations fought for supremacy. The Americans were winners, with a craft designed by Glenn Curtis and piloted by Jimmy Doolittle. Italian Mackeys won, as did British Sotworths, but eventually it was Supermarine who ruled the roost. Mitchell entered and won with the Sea Lion 2, the S5 and S6. For the final race in 1931 though, the British government refused to support the event and it wouldn't have been held but for the remarkable Lucy Lady Houston. A 16-year-old chorus girl, Lucy married into money several times, ending up a widow with a a £5.5 million fortune. She was a great supporter of the military, especially aviation, and she donated £100,000 to Supermarine to fund their entry for the final race. Her gift proved to be the impetus, which allowed Rolls-Royce to develop an R-Type engine, which produced 2,600 horsepower. With any nine months to prepare and powered by this mighty V12 supercharged monster, Mitchell's Supermarine S6B set a new speed record of 400 miles an hour and won the Schneider Trophy for the third year running. The rules meant that Britain would keep the vast silver trophy, which can still be seen at the Royal Aero Club in London. What was more important to the future of Britain were the advances in engine and aircraft design that were to come together in Mitchell's next project? The Air Ministry's specification, F 7 Oblique 30, called for a fighter capable of at least 250 miles an hour and armed with four machine guns. Supermarine competed with Blackburn, Bristol, Gloucester, Hawker, and Westland for the contract, and Mitchell set about a design that would almost literally, saved the world. The experience gained through the Schneider Trophy races gave Mitchell an edge that would carry him through the development of the Type 224 and ultimately the Type 300 prototypes. His final design was an all-metal monoplane with a thin elliptical wing which carried underwing radiators, retractable undercarriage, and an enclosed cockpit with an oxygen supply for the pilot. Powered by the Rolls-Royce PV-12 engine, it sported four 303 Browning machine guns embedded in the wings. None of these design features were entirely new, but it was Mitchell who brought them all together into one balanced, sleek, powerful and achingly beautiful aircraft, all done whilst he was suffering from cancer. In 1933, he was hospitalised and given a colostomy. In the 30s, this operation, with all its awful side effects, would normally have left sufferers housebound. Mitchell, however, was soon back at work with his colostomy bag strapped to his side. It was as if his illness was driving him to even greater efforts to ensure his brainchild grew to fulfilment. And so it did. On March fifth, 1939, the prototype K5054 took off on its first flight from Eastley Aerodrome. Whilst being briefed by the engineering staff about the aircraft, Mitchell famously informed one of the test pilots, Geoffrey Quill, If anybody ever tells you anything about an aeroplane which is so bloody complicated you can't understand it, take it from me, it's all bulls." Snuggled into the tight cockpit for its maiden flight was Mutt Summers, the chief test pilot. It was a short trip, But on landing, Mutt grinned and said, Don't touch a thing. The aircraft and engine were named and will be forever linked. The Supermarine Spitfire and the Rolls Royce Merlin. Of the name, Mitchell said, Spitfire was just the sort of bloody silly name they would choose. But it was a name that would become treasured. The Spitfire's brother-in-arms was the Hawker Hurricane, a less complicated design that lacked the Spitfire's thin elliptical wing and which was in production six months before it. During the Battle of Britain it fought in greater numbers and with slightly greater success, Mitchell's Spitfire, however, had a higher kill-to-loss ratio and because of its better performance was often tasked to engage enemy fighters, leaving the bombers to the hurry. Throughout the war, however, they frequently worked together, an almost perfect combination of combat aircraft. Many well-known fighter pilots flew the Spitfire, Johnny Johnson, Douglas Bader, Bob Tuck, the Canadian George Burling, the South African Sailor Milan, the New Zealanders Alan Deere and Colin Gray, and the Australian Hugo Armstrong. Spitfire was developed into many marks and roles interceptor, photo reconnaissance, and fighter bomber, becoming the backbone of fighter command. The four machine guns were complemented by two 20mm Hispano cannons. A clip-wing version operated at high altitudes and later on the Merlin, which itself moved from a carbureted version to fuel injection despite Miss Tilly's orifice, was replaced by an even more powerful Rolls-Royce Griffin. There was even a carrier-borne Spitfire renamed the Sea Fire. By the end of the aircraft's life it would have served with 36 countries, and was in production until 1948. The final aircraft built, a Mark 24, went to 80 Squadron to serve at Kai Tak Airfield in the protection of Hong Kong during the Chinese Civil War. Mitchell himself, however, was not going to see just how capable, successful and beloved his Spitfire was going to become. His cancer returned and he died at home in 1937, aged only 42. Before his death, Mitchell was awarded the CBE, Commander of the British Empire, but unlike Sidney Cam, the designer of the Hurricane, he was never knighted. He was by nature a quiet, kind man who commanded unerring respect, loyalty and affection from his staff, many of whom were utterly devoted to him. For those who are keen to learn a little more about Mitchell's life, look out for the 1942 biographical film The First of the Few, which was released in the United States as Spitfire. Many years later, his son campaigned for more recognition for his father, and he found a sympathetic ear in the form of a cigar-chewing American billionaire, Sidney Frank. A man who loved aviation history and Britain, he commented... When I found out about R.J. Mitchell and that he had not got a knighthood and wasn't even on the BBC's list of most famous Britons, I couldn't believe it. A man used to getting things done, Frank set about correcting this sad lack of recognition and he paid for an exhibition at the Science Museum which included an inspiring sculpture of the man whose aircraft was admired by many, even the enemy. During the Battle of Britain, Adolf Galland was asked by Hermann Goering, his commanding officer, what he needed to win the Battle of Britain. The Luftwaffe's leading ace famously replied, Spitfire!